live from a dream within a dream within a dream, I think. This is Derailed Trains of Thought. Tim, so I don't know why I said that, because this is just a normal house. It's kind of sunny outside. Yeah, there are kids playing outside. Yeah. This should be a normal location, yeah, I think. I, I think that's so. I mean, it looked pretty spotless and everything. There's... Are you sure we're actually in a dream? This doesn't feel very like... I've had weirder dreams than this. Yeah, no, I, I don't know why I said that. I think I think this is really the real thing. Okay, so we're just at a house by a lake. Yes. Okay. And there's and, and not much weird. Not really anything, except well, there's that top going... Okay, well, I mean, it's kind of weird that we're here, and like, sometimes the podcast takes us much stranger places. Yeah, yeah, I'll take a sunny day by a lake. Yeah, we shouldn't complain. No, no, not at all. Anyway, welcome, folks, to uh, another episode of Derailed Trains of Thoughts, your premier podcast on storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. My name is Nick. My name is Tim. And we're here to guide you through the wonders that is, that is, the wonders that are storytelling. I've completely butchered all that. <laughs> We're here to guide you through words and things. Guide you through words. We're not off to a great start <laughs> then, Nick. No, we are not. <laughs> Anyways, welcome, everyone. We talk about all manner of storytelling here, from the practical to the uh, less practical. To the but, theoretical. Well, like, theoretical. The experimental. The always interesting world of stories. Anyways, Tim, shall we just go ahead and dive right in? Let's do it. It is time for Story School. If you are new, or if you've had amnesia since we last met, it's <laughs> always possible. I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> yeah. You apologize for them having amnesia? That they don't remember our wondrous voices. Oh, oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Story School is where we discuss some aspect of storytelling and just kind of dissect it, sometimes come up with new things we didn't even know we knew. Indeed. Today, if you remember last month, sorry, amnesiac, we talked about specificity. Um, being very specific, and I ran about details for a while, and we had fun. Yes, we talked about how it's useful to have very specific choices made for your story, very specific characters, locations, uh, names, just because it makes it more concrete. Yes. Today, we thought we'd talk on the flip side. We like to do this sometimes, uh, you know, on one hand, on the other hand, talk about ambiguity in stories and how it can be sometimes good, sometimes not as good. Now, this will probably cover some similar ground that we've covered before. Back in episode 64, we talked about implication. Okay. About talking, saying things without saying things. things. Kind of an implying. But uh, so we touched on ambiguity back then. um, But I think there's hopefully some more ground to cover here. Yeah, we're not sure. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get get tired of these jokes here, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. I didn't uh, put a whole lot of thought into this this week. So this will be very, I have a very vague idea of how this is going to go tonight. So, Tim, I think we should start maybe with just bad version ambiguity. That's almost easier to tackle. And everyone, I think, intuitively understands some of this. I guess the first example I had off my hand is almost like forced ambiguity. Okay, this is a very narrow section, but I've watched enough Mr. Science Theater and Rift Tracks that you have like those bad B movies that are like at the end, like, or is he still alive? You know, like a horror movie and like, Uh. (laughs) or will he return? And you're like, I don't care. (laughs) 
You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I just wanted to throw out the forced ambiguity where you try to add like a little pizzazz to an already boring thing. Okay. That's not really a section, but. Okay. Well, I, I think there's also a version of bad ambiguity where it's, uh, well, there, I think there's a couple of possible ways. I think there's one way where it's something is ambiguous because the writers forgot to tell you what was going on. Like sometimes you're just you're watching like, I don't know how this makes sense. Or they didn't connect the dots for you. Uh-huh. And sometimes in modern stuff, sometimes it's like, you're supposed to be keeping up with this. But a lot of times it's sort of like hand waving, don't notice, keep going. Yes, let's just move. We got we to keep the story moving. Don't, don't pause to explain anything. So I think, there, like you said, there is some ambiguity that's purposeful because they don't, whether it's a conscious choice, they don't want to slow down, they don't want to have to deal with it, be it breaks, whatever. Uh-huh. Or whether it's unconscious because they didn't think through everything. Uh-huh. I think those are ambiguities that really annoy certain types of viewers. You had a. We actually made a note about this last time. What was like literally right after we finished talking about specificity, and we were talking about the the flip side of that. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, I think it had something to do with Lost. Probably because in some ways Lost can have the good side of ambiguousness. Yes, which is, you know, the world is weird. There's not, a sense that you don't know what's going to happen, and not everything needs to be explained, and that actually adds tension and interest versus sucking energy out of the story. Right, because they don't bother to explain their classic explanations. They don't bother to explain midichlorians yeah. or how the Matrix works. Mm-hmm. Um, they have certain like intrigues and let you kind of fill in the gaps, which works a lot of the time, but there are some parts of it that even Uber fans like me and Nick were like, ah, we'd like a little bit more here if they, we could have. I guess since we've gotten to that kind of that dividing line between good and bad, I think part of it is to be ambiguous well, I think you have to have other things well-defined. Mm. I think ambiguity just kind of floating ambiguously, <laughs> <laughs> vaguely doesn't work. But if you have other things that are well-defined and the one thing isn't, or the yeah. one area of your world isn't. Enough of it. You need some grounding. The audience yeah. needs to feel like there's established rules, and even if they don't understand all the rules... That the rules are consistent. Yeah. That the ambiguity shouldn't happen because something doesn't make sense. It should happen because you don't know how to make sense of it yet. Right. That's the difference between... Ambiguity that is intriguing and frustrating. So let, let's take um, like a, a famous ambiguous ending is Inception. Mm-hmm. I remember reading right after that, you know, kind of the movie theater, everyone is mad and amazed and uh, what <laughs> happened and is it is he actually out of the, whatever. I remember reading, a, and I, I think I've quoted this on the podcast before from Christopher Nolan talking about the point was that the main character had an emotional resolution. It mm. didn't matter whether he was in the dream or out of the dream. Which, on one level, yes, I agree with. On the other level, I'm not so sure. <laughs> but but I guess what I'm saying is, if we're saying that some things have to be defined, is the fact is, if you buy Nolan's explanation, uh-huh. which not everyone does, and I agree with that, I mean, I can see that, is that the ambiguity of whether he's in or out is okay, because either way, everything else has been taken care of. True. It, it doesn't necessarily change, ultimately, the ending for the character. I mean, I guess a lot of Inception is about him dealing with the loss of his wife. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're going for the, the emotional turmoil, that has been resolved. I guess he can live more at peace. 
on a external level, I'd be I'm more like, yes, it, it totally matters whether you are actually with your kids or you're not with yeah. your kids. But yeah, if you're going for pure emotion, I guess not. And again, Nolan likes to play with does reality matter sort of stuff. Yeah, so true. That's a whole. I mean, that's pushing. But I do think in other ambiguous ambiguous areas. One of my favorite examples from the X Files. I think I probably mentioned this on the podcast at some point. Is there's an episode I remember where Scully, I think she's Catholic. She has some sort of faith. Okay. You know, Mulder is completely like, aliens did everything, you know. But at some point, she has some sort of, I think she has some sort of disease. It's been a long time. Mulder's trying something, and she's, right, she's praying. And at the end, it's cured, and it's uncertain whether it was whatever the weird supernatural thing of the week was, uh-huh. or whether it was faith. Sure. And... Because the way the show was set up, and Exiles generally had worked on this ambiguous level sometimes, that the the world that has been created, so that you know weird things happen, in some ways, is that weird thing aliens or is that weird thing religion, in the context of Exiles, are both equally possible and don't change, not only don't change the result, but also lend you to explain what, you know, to argue that ambiguity actually adds meaning. Mm-hmm. Suddenly there's this increase of faith versus science or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's the uh, leaving it open for debate aspect of it. Which I think is helpful if it lends to the debate that the movie set up around. Right, right. Where it's it's about continuing to, to wrestle with the ideas about who well, both sides have a point, which mm-hmm. side is the, the uh, correct one. I'm going through, uh, I'm, I have this goal, I want to catch up on some of the X-Men movies I haven't seen. Okay, yeah. So part of that is I'm going back and watching some old ones that I had seen, but just haven't seen for years, including X-Men The Last Stand. Okay. The third of the original trilogy. I haven't seen that since it was in the theater back in, I was like 2006. Yes. So it's kind of fun. I started re-watching it earlier and I haven't finished it yet, but it's like practically a brand new movie in yeah. some ways. But anyway. One thing I was reminded in that one, they're dealing with like a cure for the mutants. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's some of the X-Men, like Storm, who's like, we don't need a cure. That's ridiculous. But then others is like Rogue, who's like, wait a minute. I, I don't really like helpful. my power. That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, again, I haven't rewatched the whole movie again yet. But I think it kind of le- leaves on, I mean, there's a lot of questions you can ask about that. I think the movie's a little ambiguous. There's probably certain people who definitely have not the best intentions yeah. in mind. But should the mutants, you know, some of them have a genuine desire to take it away and some of them, it's like, no, this is part of who we are now. We just have to deal with it. So there's your debate of who's right. That that brings up for me a different version of Ambiguous than I was thinking, which is some movies would show both sides. You know, like there's people who wholeheartedly believe one way, wholeheartedly another way. But what's interesting, a lot of times those movies, your main character still has to come down somewhere. Yeah. And so if you're making a, a story like that, do you come down on a side with your main character or do you come down in such ways that both are possible, just the character you created has to end up choosing this one? Yeah, it can be interesting. I mean, I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but I imagine that, that you could do a story where your protagonist may have may have a clear choice. But the audience may or may not agree with them, or maybe you, maybe some people will still be siding with a side character who takes in a, a mm-hmm. different view. I mean, I can't think; it's not quite as ambiguous. I always remember I used to use this Babylon Five episode about uh, mm-hmm. where this alien race had this this uh, belief that they couldn't cut open; they couldn't have surgery. Where we would cut open a body, then the soul would escape. Uh-huh. And so, like, there's this, all this argument that, well, we have to obey, you know, listen to their beliefs versus I'm going to need to save this kid. 
And then the end, like the kid dies because the doctor saves him doing surgery. And then the parents are like, his soul left. He's not even really a living thing anymore. And uh-huh. But that's not really ambiguous, but it tries to play both sides, but you obviously feel one over the other. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure that counts, but it, it, that idea of how do you, you know, if you say it's important to have a, have a worldview that makes sense, that rules should work. So how yeah. then you create a world where the rules work, but two people can come to different equally valid conclusions. Yeah. But as a Christian, it's a little weird sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, the, I mean, even Christianity does leave some, some things open to interpretation. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Which I always find a fascinating choice that God did. He's like, yeah, they're going to be disputable matters. What? Why don't you just tell us? <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's there's gray areas. There's all sorts of places where Christians come to different answers. I suppose I've not watched a lot of West Wing, but it'd be interesting to see. But we're kind of off from ambiguity at this point now, almost trying to balance the... A little bit. Well, although I did happen to look up on web, the Merriam-Webster website, <laughs> uh, the dictionary website, had a little bit of history about ambiguity. It notes that it comes from the Latin ambiguous, which was formed by combining ambi, meaning both, okay. and agere, which is to drive. So like kind of a both or driving thing, and which is similar to ambidextrous, which combines the same prefix with dexter, meaning skillful, related to or situated on the right. So both each of these words carries the meaning of both in its history, one with the sense of both meanings and the other with that of both hands. I, I like that because I think sometimes when we say ambiguous, we think vague. Yeah. And I think vague is bad yeah. in many ways. But ambiguous as in there are two possible answers, and I'm not going to tell you which one is right or which one is correct or which one is the most true or whatever. I guess that actually makes a lot more sense. I like that definition. Yeah, I think it notes that it can be used to refer to either thing as something that's a word that has multiple meanings or to a more general sense of or state of uncertainty, which would be the, the more vagueness. And I, th- I think that uncertainty is often bad for stories. Yeah. But I think a sense of there are possible answers that we're not telling you what they are Uh and not telling you is going to make the story better either by raising the tensions, raising the meaning. That can be really good if done well. Doing it well, though, is the... The challenge. The challenge. You got to make it so there are... I think you have to make it in such a way so that not anything can be true. Mm-hmm. That there are a limited number of things that could be true, and they all have some sort of val- validity to them. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it, I think it is a very challenging thing to do. I mean, I get we talked about this in the Implication episode. I think this is why some artsier movies tend to have some more ambiguity to them. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what do you think it means? Um, and you can go... So far that where the average person's like, I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't care. I just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Actually, they, they often complain, not complain, but mention that um, the end of Great Expectations is a little ambiguous. Yeah, that's true. There's two different endings to Great Expectations, and one is the original one felt a little incomplete, and so Dickens tweaked it a little bit. It, it ends on a happy note, but it is ambiguous in terms of like, well, is this going to be a romantic friendship or is it going to be just... They, they reconnected. They reconnected, yeah. Is that you can read into it either like, oh, Estella and Pip, they've met each other after all their sufferings and they're just like, hey, we understand each other. Or is it, oh, finally something will happen between them. Yeah. And I'd lean towards the first personally, but I could see how you could read either in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either why it works, again, is that the entire conflict for Pip is... 
what is a Stella to him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so you've been presented with this back and forth all the book. So to have it still there at the ending while having also worked through all his other issues uh-huh. works. Yeah, it is very interesting. I, I feel like in our play, we lean toward the romantic interest, at least in the body language that we had the actors use. But yeah, there's definitely room for interpretation there. Now, I think there's also sort of ambiguity that's not actually. People are like, oh, I read this between it. And I guess maybe it was there, but you just want things to be there that you like, that you, I don't know, that because it's the internet culture and we want to overanalyze everything. I think there's that sort of like reading ambiguity into where a normal person would be like, no, that's this is what it means. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I think usually when people are reading something into it, they're reading something specific into it. Yeah, that wasn't there. But I'm not sure that's so much as misinterpreting implication as... As... Not ambiguity. Yeah. Another famous ambiguous ending is 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm. Which I've not never seen, actually, surprisingly, but it's one of those that you hear enough about that I feel like I have. <laughs> and again, I think that I think this is a difference. That is not like, hey, there's two choices or three choices and they're mm. even. It's the, there are symbols and meanings here which I can't make any sense of. Uh-huh. And I think that vague ambiguity, somehow it works for that movie because that movie's weird. <laughs> uh, no, it's, a, I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but it's, it is very hard. I think this is the thing with artsy movies sometimes is that they, they have all these symbols or things that you're supposed to read stuff into. Example, I've been playing some kind of like indie games on the Switch. Mm-hmm. I recently played Inside. Inside is a kind of a puzzle. It's a side scroller. You're this boy. You're trying to just, wow, there's no words or anything. Mm-hmm. But you're like sneaking into this compound. And like if you don't do things right, you'll get caught and killed. And you just restart and keep going. And then there's all kind of these zombie people in there and eventually find the centerpiece and there's this kind of amalgamation of like human flesh. It's really Ugh. like, it started out kind of cool and then got like really like, the end was like, I don't know why I'm playing this. Um, but then like you join into it and then you escape as this giant ball of st- stuff and then you just like die. <laughs> and that's the end of the game and just sits there. Okay. And I'm just like, wait, what? So I go online and be like, okay, let's figure out. And there's whole articles on game magazines like, yeah, we don't know what it means. And there's like all the editors are saying their own interpretation of whether it talks about it's consumerism or collectivism or the boy was actually brought in from these clues. And there's a lot of, I don't know a lot, but I play some other indie games where they're not quite as ambiguous, but they're, they are. Uh-huh. I think there's a sense that like if we have general style, like especially in visual medium, yeah, a style and, and some trope, not, I don't want to say tropes in a bad way, but like. You know, the whole, like, humanity being beat down by science being experimented on sort of idea. And then we just run with it. There's meaning there. And they never pin it down to anything so that, yeah, you can get whatever you want out of it. But for a person like me, I'm like, what was this? Sure, sure. There's another one called The Between I Played. It's kind of a puzzle game. And this girl going back in her memories and had a horrible childhood and all this stuff. And interesting setup, interesting game. These games are always kind of dark for some reason. Um, <laughs> but then the end just kind of happens. You're just like, wait, what was that? So you go on, I go online and try to figure out what happened. Uh-huh. And people are like, well, I think it's this and this. You're going to piece together all these very vague clues. And I feel like that ambiguity is just too much. Like, mm. like the creators have this idea, but they don't want to tell you exactly what it is. Yeah. 
I don't think that's fair to the audience. I'm I'm all for you've read some of my stuff, not explaining things enough. Like, and that's something I've <laughs> f- tried to find the balance even since high school. Like, how do I explain enough? But I don't think it's fair to say I'm not going to tell you. Just going to let the emotions wash over you. Wash over you. Well, I mean, I guess that could be a choice. Like. Sometimes I feel like filmmakers or video games are less concerned about telling a story as they are giving an emotional or impressionistic journey of sorts. Jim Henson actually even once made this experimental short film. This was like late 50s, early 60s, somewhere around. He was doing some butt butt stuff, but he was interested in a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. um, during that period. And this was like this live action thing called Timepiece. Okay, yeah. It's set to a certain rhythm of like Jim Henson himself plays just this man that's running through this just really amalgamation of scenes. Like there's him on a pogo stick. He's flying in a like a Leonardo da Vinci style flying contraption thing. Okay. Like drugs are like that. <laughs> you would think, except I don't think he ever did drugs. Yeah. But like that, it's it's all done to a beat. So there's like him running in a suit and tie, him painting an elephant pink, mm-hmm. um, breaking rocks in a jail quarry, all this stuff. I don't really completely understand it. I know it's very, again, the synchronization, the timepiece thing is a recurring theme. And I heard in one interview, Jerry Joel, who was a major writer with Jim and and, uh, the Muppets, talked about it being kind of an exploration of running away from time. Okay. um, Which Jim seemed to always kind of, according to his biography, his brother died unexpectedly in a car accident at some point when he was, I think, in college or close near thereabouts, which I think instilled in them this idea of, I have a lot of stuff I want to do in the world, but I have a very limited time frame in which to do it. So like, why do you keep writing like you're running out of time sort of thing? (laughs) I guess so, yeah. yeah. And in that context, okay, that's interesting. But I don't know that I would have had that interpretation to it from just watching Timepiece by itself. That'll bring up... We had mentioned, or I don't know if we mentioned on here, but we were talking before we started recording the weird Salvador Dali Disney, uh, Walt Disney collaboration. collaboration that you watch on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And you're just watching it like, it means something. Yeah, this is an actual cartoon that Salvador Dali and Walt Disney himself collaborated on, mm-hmm. and they finished way later. I don't know how far and long they had gotten. Yeah. But it's very surreal, as only Dali and Disney could get. <laughs> so I guess I guess here's the question then, I think, what it comes down to in those sorts of ambiguity. Is it good storytelling? And some people won't even like me making a judgment call on that. For those sorts of stories that are in some ways purposely, I don't know if this is the right word, suppress rationality. I guess... You think we're going to get that deep, did you? <laughs> <laughs> here's, the, I guess, the... the trick with both of those things at one point is it actually storytelling okay okay i like i like that that's good rebuttal i mean because i don't know that i have there's not a from what i've seen of of timepiece i don't know for sure i've actually seen the whole thing i know i've seen some long segments of from it but i don't know that it necessarily has a a conflict and like a beginning middle and end i mean some artists might call those things stories like i'm telling a yeah. But I don't know whether we would call it a story. Yeah, that's, that's I, a fair question. I guess... Well, here, here's another yeah. qu- one. Yeah. Would you call those indie games that you were talking about earlier, would you call those stories? Uh, see? Or is it more of an experience? Uh, see, yeah. I mean, they're right on the edge, I think. Like, inside, 
it's very close, very close to being a story because there is some beats. There are some progressions and movements and obvious climax. Uh-huh. But how do you make sense of it? And partly because there's no words <laughs> and stuff. And I think what's coming to my mind now, and I wish I remembered it well enough, I re- read some fa- Francis Schaeffer at some point, talking about there was a certain trend in modernity, and I'm sure it's still here, it has blown into something else, that tried to become super-rational, super tried to be kind of beyond rationality. Kind uh-huh. of like, let the emotions and the connections and the stuff say what it's going to say. And I guess I've always been a little skeptical of that. Uh-huh. And I feel like some of these are... Some of the artsy things are probably a little more like that. Again, they put a lot, I'm not trying to downplay them by aiming. They put tons of thought and effort and they know sure. they're putting it together on purpose. Like it's not random. Yeah. They're not literally just tossing paint on a, but on I, a canvas. I, I always feel a little bit like look, look those. And I, you know, I felt like that with some, some of the weirder, say, Evangelians. When I watch things where like feel like there's enough meaning, but I can't connect the dots, it gets really under my skin. I keep trying to make it work. Yeah. And maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's a good move. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't want to purposely make something like that, Hmm. I guess. You want to have intentionality and meaning behind your stories. Although you do struggle, I know sometimes. How much to say. Yeah, how much to say. And I'm, I'm actually okay with not saying everything, but I feel like you need to say enough that there is a plot that's understandable. And then maybe there's layers on top. Yeah, that you don't get because I mean I could point to a couple of your flash you fictions that that I was uh, like I don't know where you're going with this Nick uh, like and again you probably accuse me of it on say uh, the dream ship mm. um, a couple other ones and so maybe I'm a I'm a I'm a hypocrite on this because there is I guess there is something and maybe maybe here's the point there is some truth I guess or some like if you're the creator and you have an idea in your head and you're trying to put it in some sort express it in some sort of unique manner you might come out with something that makes sense to like expresses it mm-hmm. but it's not really a good expression to anyone else mm. like i think some poems are that way like sure. like it makes no sense unless you already have the this other key yeah like you need something else to actually like it might be a, the words might be great and gives you a sense of, it evokes something but the the other part of that is in your head, essentially. Yeah, or the the you know the critics find it, or and I again okay maybe I'm backing maybe maybe I'm backing I'm saying that maybe that's not always bad, but I don't think it should be the normal. Mm. I don't know. That's that's kind of challenging. I'm not sure because I I think certainly as a creator you should be able to write whatever you want, but at some point, what is the responsibility so that the audience can. Can't engage with it. Engage with it. And like, yeah, like we said at the very beginning, ambiguity should hopefully make the engagement more and not less. Yes. That is an important thing for, I mean, this goes back to all art. Yeah. And I'm sure we've had this discussion before, but making something for an audience as opposed to something just for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if you're going to write just for yourself, you can do that in a journal or something like that. Yeah. If you're going to, have the expectation that people are going to look at this and get something out of it, then your approach should be different than if you're making it just for yourself. Okay. I'm going to argue my own other, I'm going to argue the other side of what I just said. So literally this morning I was teaching about parables to my Christian living class. Okay. The whole point of parables is purposely obscure the truth, except for the people who are going to put the work in. Mm, okay. So maybe, and again, now I'm now I'm contradicting my previous thought. Maybe there is a place for ambiguity, 
And I think this is why artsy things tend to be a little more. We're, we're using ambiguity in a very ambiguous way. Like we keep changing, the, <laughs> we keep changing the definition of it. different parts of different it. parts, and different ways people think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least in this case, in some ways, there is a place. It seems to me, if Jesus uses it for purposely making things harder to understand, unless you're going to put the work in to understand it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's required of a creator to make sure it's easy to digest. Sure. And, and I think a lot of times literature purposely does make it harder to digest unless you're going to put the effort into it. I think poetry is a lot this way. Yeah. I mean, you read any of the weird dream things, in, I think it's in Zephaniah, like the woman in the basket carried by an eagle. You're like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> That's fair, but at the same time... There is something true in it. I mean, behind it. Well, there's something true in it, and but there's also... You also have to demonstrate to your audience a reason for why they should put the effort into it. Okay, I will uh, agree with I that. I mean, I think there's, I think there can be a certain amount of pride in an artist that, that's like, I am the artist, so you must underst- <laughs> come understand me. And some audiences may buy into that. Other audiences like, no. <laughs> I think I would, yeah, I would completely agree that I don't think we should purposely do it just because, ha look how clever I am. <laughs> You know, or like I wrote something that's super hard to understand. I mean, not not every parable Jesus told was that ambiguous. Yeah, there are some true. that were. I'm sure they had exactly. They knew what he was talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's true. Is that in the sense that, and plus those parables are in the context of everything he's saying, and some true. of the stuff is and doing and doing, and so it's really like, look, if you look at everything else as I'm doing, you should be able to get this, and so like. A story, there might be parts of them, and I think that's probably how, say, 2001 gets away with it, (laughs) is that the rest of the movie has this very firm idea of evolution, of man moving forward, of enlightenment. So when you get to the end, even if you don't know what all the symbols mean, you understand that this is enlightenment visualized from a Kubrick point of view. (laughs) So The context. The context. That makes, yeah, that, that makes a big difference. How it fits into the overall world of your story. Or of your world. Okay, uh, I mean, of your worldview. Right. All right. So hopefully you got something specific out of that. <laughs> we weren't really sure where we are going with it when we started it today. We covered a lot of uh, different aspects of ambiguity, I feel like. So then we'll move on to soundtrack. For my soundtrack today, I thought I'd go with one of these indie games because I have a love-hate relationship with them. Like, I like them because they're short and they're kind of unique, but sometimes I feel unsettled or not incomplete at the end of one. Mm. But one really good one, though the, if you go to some of the bonus stuff, it gets a little like, I don't know what you're talking about. Fez. Great game. Get on the Switch if you have the Switch. I, I had it on the PC. Anyways, Fez. This is from that game. It is called Wind Rose and is remixed by Outset Initiative, Andrew Steffen, and Ship Plus. Is Matt Smith in this game? He is not. I feel oh, he loves Fez. He, yeah, he, <laughs> he feels like he should be. But anyway. And it's very calm, ambient, just a lovely little piece. Enjoy.
Welcome back. Hopefully, you didn't like zone out during that. It was very chill. Uh, what? Wait. Oh, oh, I don't even know where we are anymore. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. And there's like buildings that are like turning sideways wow. and stuff. This is uh, weird. That's weirder than where we were. I'll tell you that. No, that's for sure. Uh, anyway, moving okay. on. Uh, we're going to go to our this year's new segment, which is Once Upon a Sentence. So this is our little contest in the middle of the show where we will read a sentence from a classic piece of literature, and then you can write us if you recognize it. So we had someone recognize our last one, Tim. That's right. Katie Hobbs. You can all call her Catherine. Uh, she uh, messaged us on Facebook and identified that line that we mentioned last time from A Tale of Two Cities. And as Katie said, rightly famous for its opening passage and ends brilliantly as well. So if you have not read Tale Two Cities, it is one completely worth reading. I've read it at least twice. Cool. I, so. I've started it. I know the story. But I don't think I've actually ever read the whole thing through. So congratulations, Katie or Catherine. Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah. But today we will start with, we'll have another Sentence, once upon a sentence. Yes, so it's with another line from a famous book, and yes. what is that line, Nick? Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Well, this just sounds like everyday modern America. Exactly. <laughs> okay, one more time. Yes. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. All right. I am convinced we'll get someone for this one. Cool, cool. You can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com, or if you know another way to get a hold of us, that's fine too. But um, speaking of getting hold of us, listener feedback. So, Tim, this listener feedback, I figure I'll let you do, since you know this listener. Yes, this listener is, uh, she uh, lives under the same roof that I do. It is my lovely wife, Janelle. And she uh, she left us a comment back on episode 125, uh, where we were talking about nonviolent endings, mm -hmm. and proposed three other potential candidates for that conversation. One she mentioned in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I mean, there's a lot of action at the end of that, but she does point out that Cap does refuse to fight Bucky at the end um, and just lets him beat him up until Bucky finally gives in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, which is kind of similar to the sacrifice ending in some ways, I'd say. Now, I like the second one that she mentioned about after her last airbender. I had completely forgotten that example, but you kept trying to find a way to not kill him. To not kill him. Which, I mean, there's a big fight sequence there. So, there's definitely the, the non killing idea <laughs> but there's, certain, there's lots of violence going on and, and in some ways the non-killing thing works better there than it does in say trigun yes and finally the last example she gives is wonder woman 1984 actually this is i think this is actually a pretty good opinion or a good point wonder woman 1984 i think has a very bad reputation and i don't understand why um because the style was just one that a lot of people didn't like or weren't expecting or yeah. something i mean i feel like the ending is very comic booky in a way the the way she thwarts the the villain's plan is through, as Janelle puts it, a change of public opinion, mm -hmm. uh, having everyone sacrifice their wish, including the wish-granting villain. And I don't know, maybe some people find that hokey, but I think it works in the context of the show. I mean, it it works as well as it would have worked on, say, Doctor Who. Yeah. And, you mean, you mean yeah. like when they all pray for the Doctor not to be a little gnome thing? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great example. Again, action packed movie. Um, it does include a fight with Catwoman or, or not Catwoman, uh, Cheetah. <laughs> yeah, uh, is a cat. <laughs> Another cat, uh, which I think. Yeah, I don't remember how that turned out. Actually. I don't remember either. So no. may, uh, maybe okay. So there's a count against Wonder Woman eighty four. <laughs> it is a little vague. It, it didn't stick in the mind quite as well as they may wish. But I think it's a good example. So thank you, Janelle, sweetie. I think those are especially the last one. I think is a really good example of uh, a nonviolent ending in an, an otherwise action packed movie. Yeah. Cool. If you would like to us to, to uh, talk about your comments, please leave it at uh, derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com or email us, like we said earlier, at derailtrains at gmail.com. Yep. Leave us a comment there and blind us with your brilliance. All right. And then we'll go on to our final segment, which is... It's been a while since we've had what if. It has been. We were trying to figure out what if, what to do for today. It was kind of a, how do we deal, tackle this ambiguous question? So we decided that as normal in what if, we'll do some randomizing. We've got a thing. We're going to randomize some movie so we don't just pick the same thing we always pick. Yeah, drawing some movies out of a hat, essentially. Well, except by computer. Uh, most of these movies, we assume we're going to picking movies that we've seen. That we know somewhat something decent about. And uh, give it a different ending. What was probably, I mean, assuming we get movies that have a very definitive ending. Let's see, what happens if we give them an ambiguous one? It would, like, make it a little more open-ended. Yes. So we'll see how we can ruin and or improve certain movies. The first one here, Nick, is actually a very recent movie, Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, interesting. I mean, this movie does have a bit of ambiguity at the end of it. It's like, well, where, what is Peter going to do next? Well, I mean, we kind of have some ideas. Uh, but, I mean, it leaves it open for, well, maybe they'll do, have more movies, maybe not. Well, it's interesting because you do have that kind of that ambiguous sense where it's like he's going to tell MJ who he is or try to introduce himself and then he kind of pulls back and... Will he later Will he on? Later. So some of that, but the definitive is whole like, what if you end it before we knew whether any it of worked? that? Yeah, that, mean, would, that would be super ambiguous. That'd be like, really mean. That's like season five of Lost. <laughs> Boom! Like <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange casts the spell, and then it just goes to white, and then that's it. That's <laughs> that's the end. <laughs> like Spider Man <laughs> will return, maybe, <laughs> or or you act like. <laughs> you could really trip up the audience and act like, thank you for coming to see the Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> and, and you have no references to Spider-Man anywhere in the credits. <laughs> so the, even the audience doesn't like, act like wait, the audience doesn't remember what movie they came to see. We don't like is Spider-Man in this movie? What just happened? <laughs> That'd be awesome. That'd be so trippy. I suppose you could do it even where like um was it Tony McGuire that gets stabbed at the end oh yeah you can leave it so you don't know whether he's going to get better or not oh that's true like, does he die does he oh, not that'd be yeah yeah uh, and then just send them back and we're just like headcanon what is you say what are you <laughs> saying now i i really do kind of dig this like welcome doctor thank you for watching dr strange <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great and just just pull out all the spider-man like you could almost i mean if you were if you're doing like a thor ragnarok uh-huh. sort of thing you could have done like do like an hour and 20 minutes in and just end it and then have like another 20 minutes to finish it up. But, <laughs> but like this little... all the Doctor Strange stuff. Like you have like 20 minutes of just Doctor Strange with no Spider-Man. Yeah. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think I think that's good. I think we've made it far more ambiguous than it was. I love it. All right. 
Um, Castle in the Sky. Oh, okay. Now, you've seen this more recently than I have, probably. So they go up. I mean, the castle falls apart, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are they saving it that way, or they're just losing this thing? What is, well, I forget exactly. Well, they're destroying a lot of the castle to, pre- to prevent the villain from using its power to wreak Okay. destruction across the world but they are saving like the tree and the actual naturey parts that are still there i feel like the end of this would be like the end of final fantasy 7 the original one where i'm like did we save the planet <laughs> yeah that does kind of have an ambiguous ending seven i mean when i first watched it i was it was like so excited i beat him just like at the end i'm like i think that was a good ending <laughs> <laughs> i'm was, not but, sure it was the first really japanese ending it had mm, yeah yeah I, i've seen some interpretations where like all the people died, and then, like, years later, it's just, like, Red 13 and the animals repopulating the Earth, but, like, I don't know. I don't know. So I suppose you have some of that going for a castle in the sky in the fact that maybe they save it, but, like, it's one of these, like, save, but did we save all of it or did we save enough? And maybe or, your your main characters don't, maybe you don't know if they even survived at all. Or maybe you do, like, a bad ambiguity where it's, like, it's all over, they're all happy, and then the bad guy crawls out of the wreckage, like... Oh, that's always the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dang it, so what was the part, point of this movie? Sort of. Yeah. The big castle in the ocean, the sequel. <laughs> I don't know, exactly. Yeah, I think that's about as far we're going to get with that one. As far as we get with that one. Okay, Toy Story 2. All right, Toy Story 2. Let's just recap real quick. That's the one where Woody... It basically gets taken at a garage sale accidentally, yep. gets added to part of this uh, collection, collection of, of other Wild West from the particular show that Woody was apparently yeah. from. And he's really tempted to go with him until Buzz comes and reminds him, he's like, no, you have an owner and you have a purpose and you're the one who taught me all that. And this is really important. And Woody's like, yeah, you're right. But before he can go back with him, he gets scooped up and then all the toys go rescue him from the airplane before he can be sent to Japan. Be the evil and- prospector guy once right. stay. Right, 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 right. And then they all go back and Andy gets a bunch of new toys because they decided that he's a good guy. So how do so, we make it I, how do we make this ambiguous? Yeah, see all my ambiguous thoughts are more like twist endings and not ambiguous. Like yeah. Jesse's actually a double agent. Um <laughs> I mean really what you have to play up then because the, the conflict is does he stay or does he go back to Andy? Okay. Well you have to you almost do like an O. Henry thing. Is he the one who wrote like the where you had the two doors and one's the lion, one's the the lady? And at the end of the story, it doesn't actually tell you which one they choose. Well, I, actually, I don't know. I don't think I know the story. Oh, okay. I haven't read it for ages and ages. But there's one that basically like behind one door is a lion will eat you, another is like the princess. If you guys read it more recently, I might be misremembering. But and then like it ends before he actually chooses. Huh. And I I will have to hunt it down sometime. But what if there was, like, a, some choice at the very end, like, another attempt for him, maybe Moses goes through, but then, like, the prospector shows up and, like, hey, you can still come with me. <laughs> and then there's just a shot of, like, of Woody between prospector and Jesse cut to black. Yeah. I, I guess that, that could be interesting. I mean, like, you... Especially if you also make the owner a bit more sympathetic. Yes. Because they, they kind of portray the guy as kind of this fat slob guy that's kind of rude to people. and like you He's don't basically really Nedry to... from um, um, Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he's not someone that you really want to care about. But at the same time, 
he doesn't really do anything wrong in the movie that I remember. I mean, he, he bought a toy at a garage sale and he wants to put it in a toy collection. Yeah, he want to make lots of money off of it. Make lots of money. He's greedy, sure, but that doesn't mean anything he's but doing is illegal. What if he changes when he's not greedy? He just loves collecting old toys. Yeah. So then it's the choice. Do you still stay with this Andy, uh. who's going to beat you up and forget you? <laughs> or then do you stay with this guy who's not going to play with you? But he'll put you a place of honor. And he, he still like actually values you as yeah. opposed to just being, yeah, he's just selling you for money. Because really all the toy stores are basically this choice. Uh-huh. Like, do, are you going to do this or this? And so what you do is instead of answering it, you make it so that both answers seem decent mm-hmm. and then leave it there. And just leave it there. And just make everyone mad. Like, <laughs> artsy toy story. You know, you, you cut, and everyone's like, wait, what? And <laughs> and they're like, give us Toy Story 3. And Answer Toy Story 3 is like two movies, one if he went one way to one if he went the <laughs> other way. It doesn't actually tell you which is better. And then that actually be great. And then, like, there's some something where they think back what life could have been like. And then, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's actually, a, that's I really want to see a movie like that now where you actually have, like, two movies going at once. <laughs> I feel like Toy Story 4 really upended the whole like <laughs> the moral compass that this toy story movies yeah. had operated under like we're toys we here to serve kids yeah right? and Bobby was like no forget kids they forget you all the time and Woody's like okay uh, <laughs> yeah yeah it, like it's a weird coda it's a very weird coda Forky is awesome what Forky is awesome sure sure sure, okay. sure. anyways but it would be interesting if you're going to play with that kind of moral quandary of the toy universe, <laughs> yeah. have this kind of debate. I, it would be not as satisfying, but pretty interesting. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. So I think that was a success. Let's try again. Basically, Tim, what we're really doing is just making all these normal popular films into art films. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay. Um, how well do you know who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, it's been a while. I remember the end scarred me. Understandably. So what is the, the conflict is, what's his name, whose accolade cartoon was trying to destroy Toontown? Is that correct? And yes. they And they basically stop him. Mm-hmm. So what would, what would be the other, I mean, is there any reason why Toontown should, I mean, could we make him sympathetic? Could we make it like, these tunes are just insane? Um, I mean, that's where it's going to be hard. Yeah, it'd have to be something... Along those lines. Unless you made it, whether it was morally right to destroy him or burn him up. You'd have to you'd but, have to really change the entire movie. I mean, I, I guess mean, we, we were changing a lot of Toy Story 2 to make but, this but work. We but had, we had the, yeah, but we had the, all the pieces. We just tweaked. Yeah, yeah. That would be a major, if like the tunes were some sort of public menace, that'd be, I mean, you're still talking about like, a genocide against cartoons? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, I don't know that you can really do that with that character with the Christopher Lloyd character so hmm. Hmm. or we make ambiguous by was he actually a cartoon was he actually the real Vic the real or were were you audience the ones killing cartoons by not watching them <laughs> you can make it meta yeah you know is that you in the heart okay I'm, I'm, okay. I'm kind of tempted to move on from go that on. because yeah, yep. there's another one on this list that is pretty near and dear to my heart yes. uh, the Muppet movie Oh, the Muppet. That, now, this is a little ambiguous at the end, actually. Well, in some ways. In some way. Well, not ambiguous. Just yeah. it's an interesting, weird. It's like, are they in? Are they doing a movie of themselves, or are they? Or this a fictionalized or they, account? Oh, yeah, I mean, do they know they're in the movie they're 
show. I mean, it's we it's a weird like well like fourth wall thing. At, at the beginning of it, Robin's like. Uncle Kermit, is this how the Muppets really got started? And Kermit's like, well, this is sort of approximately how it happened. <laughs> okay, well, which parts are the approximate and which parts are how it happened? So are we going to turn this into like an Inception thing where it's like... I was just thinking, I mean, the simplest way to make this a bit more ambiguous, you'd have to take out the entire like premise that the Muppets are watching, yeah. or in a screening room watching their own movie because yeah. that kind of gives it away. It's like, yes, it did become, they were successful. If you take that away, then all you'd have to do is it just ends with... Kermit and the Muppets walking into the movie producer's office. Okay, yeah. The place, their destination where they're going to become, put in their thing to become rich and famous, and you don't know if they actually did or not. Yeah. I mean, again... Not very satisfying. Not very satisfying. You'd also have to, like, forget that there's a whole Muppet franchise out there. (laughs) I mean, and you could all, I mean, everyone loves that last scene because you have the rainbow connection and everything, but you could almost have that, like dream sequence like this is what they're hoping it's going to be but then does Mm. it really turn out like that or is it should he really have become the spokesperson for um, mr hoppers or whatever (laughs) i don't know yeah that one's harder because it is a very i mean it's already kind of twisted in on himself too a little bit huh plus they already read the script in the middle of the movie yeah (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) greatest fourth wall ever all right so here's here's a interesting one bambi Okay, Bambi. I'm trying to remember how Bambi actually ends. Like, I just remember them, like, escaping through the forest fire. No, here's what you do. You don't make the ambiguous ending. You make an ambiguous beginning. Is the mom actually dead? <laughs> well, I mean... So, so we have, like, vision. Like, everyone's like, you think you see her, and, like, maybe she's ran away or escaped, or maybe she's... She just abandoned Bambi? Maybe? You don't know. <laughs> That's what you don't know. It could be. So he's just law- left with this guilt of like, is my mom dead or not? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's how you make it ambiguous. <laughs> you just take that sure fact of the beginning and you say, uh-huh. wait. Technically, it's- like you just see some blood. You never find a body. Okay. <laughs> you never find a body. There's blood. You don't see a body in the original one. <laughs> but they imply there's a body. You make sure you see some blood, but the baby's like, I never found her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, she dies like halfway through the movie. Not oh, at the beginning. okay. I haven't actually seen it for years. <laughs> I haven't either. I just remember that, like, because I think there's a whole winter sequence. I don't know. Because I, I feel like the the whole sequence with him as a kid ends like as soon as she gets yeah. killed. But anyway, or is she dead? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. I want to see that version of Bambi. <laughs> it's like noir. Yes, okay. Moving on, we got Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Now, they're listening to the 1998 Liam Neeson version here. Which I have not seen, but I have seen Which, the I mean, it's, it's the same story. It's Les Mis, yeah, just without the music. All right, what part do we want to make ambiguous? It is all over the place. It is. I mean, we've been leaning towards endings, but you just completely did something different with Bambi. There. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Near the end, not that it's quite ambiguous, but you could mess with it. In the book and in the movie, Cosette is going to marry Marius. Okay. But Jean Valjean kind of bows out and like completely disappears because he thinks, I forget what the reasoning is, because... Because he thinks he's going to be a burden or... There's something about if it's discovered, some connection, then... Anyways, in in the book, it's a wonderful thing. It's horrible and wonderful at the same time. Like he hides away and he's living all alone and then Cosette comes find him. But you could leave this ambiguity about like... I'm trying to figure out how you would do it exactly, though. 
I mean, I guess it, it, the whole thing from Jean Valjean's point of view. So you'd almost have the where the cassette was actually happy or not at the end. Oh. His whole his whole thing is that he was trying to benefit cassette partly so that he gave someone something, you know, use the grace to be given to him for someone else, uh-huh. and also because Fantine had made him promise. Uh-huh. Sorry, like if you don't know Lady Miz, guys, I just threw like ten million French names at you. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I will concur that making all these. Uh giving all these things ambiguous endings does in a lot of ways just make it feel like they're less satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is just less satisfying. You guys just figure out whether this, the low in the satisfaction makes more interest. And a lot yeah. of times it, a lot of them, a lot of times they're not set up for that. I mean, really to make it fully ambiguous, you gotta. Well, and Les Mis is full of so much grief and sorrow anyway. You want to have a, it Resolution. Yeah. At some point when your story is filled with that much darkness anyway, and then you leave it on a, a unresolved notes, it doesn't feel very fulfilling. Whereas even if you ended up bad, at least there's a catharsis in some ways, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But a, there's a release of a it. release of some sort. If you just leave it hanging there, you're just like, What do I do with all this emotion? Yeah, yeah that's true. Definitely a danger of, of that route. Okay, um, let's do let's do one or two more. Yes, you know the most interesting thing about what if is sometimes we learn a lot doing it, even That's though we true. don't mean some, to. Some more details come out uh, in the process of playing with these ideas. And I, I guess this is the thing about storytelling: we can talk about it all we want, but until you start doing it, there's certain things you don't know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What about ET? ET. Huh. Okay. So we don't know whether ET gets home or not. You do one. You could also. I mean, you had to rework the whole thing, whether, well, and now it wouldn't work with the way the movie's set up. Never mind. I was going to see whether E.T. was actually real or not, or just in the girl's brain. Mm. But you had to rework everything. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a bit too much. But yeah, whether it gets home or not, I guess. Because do we see the ship at the end? I feel like we see... We see something. We see some lights. It's, been, stuff, yeah. it's been a long time since I've seen E.T. I guess here's what you do. Okay, so there's that horrible scene that scarred me as a kid. Talking about scar, where he's like <laughs> he's basically dead, almost dead in the. Oh sure, yeah. But yeah. what if? What if? <laughs> I don't know where my brain's going. Obviously, he has to get out of that. But maybe he's still like really ill, mm-hmm. and maybe he's just left somehow at the end of the way the ship comes. We don't know whether does he ever get healed or whether he's just going to die. Right? Oh, you know, like like he's taken, he's home. So there's at least some resolution there, but there's not. Yeah, so the man, that'd be that'd be terrible, actually. <laughs> like you, he's comatose, and the aliens just take him and disappear. And you're like, did he live or not? That'd be awful. That'd be even. <laughs> that'd be so frustrating. It would not be. It would not be a Spielberg's like blockbuster hit then. No, no, not at all. Okay, that was definitely. This like of- AI ending with him just begging for the white blue fairy to come back. <laughs> Oh yeah, that'd be that'd definitely make it worse. So okay, well we have a defendant like no, don't do that. Don't way. do that. You know the interesting thing about ambiguity too. I think it's really hard to make it truly like it could be either or. Mm. I think it's a lot hard. I think you make it ambiguous, but it's probably this. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm just thinking about Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> what about some Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol? Okay, because we that's one of the nuke at the end. Be more specific. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's the um, Brad Bird directed yeah. one where he's, he climbs the skyscraper the, in India. Yeah. And I think there is... There's a bomb at the end. Yeah, I think it is a nuke thing. Uh, they're, or they're, some sort of missile. They're fi- yeah, or a missile. They're like in one of those... They're in like some sort of giant car 
thing where like it's multi levels and there's yep. filled is filled with cars and yep. he's trying to get the suitcase with the launch codes or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so how do you make that ambiguous? <laughs> like either he prevents the nuclear launch or he doesn't is what it feels like it should be. I guess you do make something else ambiguous. Whether I mean, in some of those spy movies, the thing that's ambiguous is like, were my methods correct? Mm. You know, like I saved the world, but did I? Save myself, <laughs> um, which is not really that's more of a James Bond style than Mission Impossible, Impossible. yeah, for, um, the, for the most part. That one might also have the ending where he sees his no, wait, which is the one where he sees his wife from afar? Is that three? Maybe it's five. Oh, three is the one where the, the wife, wife is with yeah, him yeah, the yeah, whole time. Yeah. You almost have to make like a, a choice where, like, I could stop the missile, but this happens, or I can do this, and something bad happens either way. Uh huh. So it's like again, you're with, with that impossible decision sort of ending. It's in Mission Impossible, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it's like, I guess I'm I'm reminded of that wonderful scene in one of the Capulti Doctor Who's where there's a, that box. Mm-hmm. That they, I think there's two boxes that they were going to press buttons, and he gives like this eight minute monologue about why not to press any of them. <laughs> why why uh, why war is dumb? Yeah, <laughs> kind of idea. It was, it was great. Yes. But I know, I think for, I mean, the problem was with the, you know, what the hardest thing is with the fun loving movies, it's really hard to do well because you have to almost change the DNA. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we're finding and trying to do. I mean, which is great with, for a thought experiment, seeing like, why don't these have ambiguous endings? And, and, and I think just so many movies, the ending set up from the beginning. Yeah. That's I mean, that's true. the thing is that the ending is preventing this. How, how do you. I mean, rewrite. How can you rewrite it and keep it the same movie while just? And in many ways, then the best ambiguous movies are probably the ones that the endings already set up from the beginning too. They knew mm. they weren't going to tell you. Oh, that's a good point. They didn't do it like. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to say. Okay, okay, I said the last one to be the last. Here's here's a real last one, which okay. is, feels it's appropriate. The final sacrifice. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Let's do it. Get okay. it last. Haha. <laughs> So, oh, good movie. I it's, feel like so the ending of it would be radically different in that I've I think it wouldn't be about Indy trying to save his father. Okay, because that that requires a definitive ending of some sort. Yes. yes. So what if instead it's like the group of them has to go through the things and you're just left at the final area with all the cups. Yep. And they're expecting to find just one cup and they find a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And they they look at each other. We have no idea which one to pick, and if we pick the wrong one, we'll die. Roll credits. Even better. <laughs> even better. Is it in this version of both father and son picking the? Are they both there? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's say they're both there. Okay. Okay. They don't know which one. They both take one, and they both drink. And then the ends. <laughs> oh, so that one of them, maybe there's only two cups. Maybe they're like. Maybe there's only two cups, and like one of them will live and one of them will die. You yeah. don't know who. It yep. Is. There you go. <laughs> These are all depressing guys. These are all depressing. All get up. But yeah. And then. <laughs> the, you know, you know these, what? I'm these ba- are very trollish endings. Some of them are. <laughs> the only way to do it funny is like do like a clue where you're like, here's seven endings. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be horrible. But here's the thing. If you're going to do that, you could actually make it work because if the entire emotional ending is that they're reconnecting as father and son, then them drinking together 
completes that story beat that they have meaning in. They have to meaning, find... and they're and they're working together, and they're they're sacrificing for each other, and they're saving the world or whatever. Uh huh. So I mean, it's like Inception. You can make it. I mean, it would be horrible, but you can make it work. <laughs> it wouldn't be an Indian Jones movie. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like a uh, Kubrick does Indiana Jones or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, we got to the emotional conclusion. We they've reconciled with each other, and yep. I guess you still have to give them a reason for why even do this then. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could come up with it, but it would it works. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So anyway, okay. So those were I didn't know where to get into, and those were not as ridiculous as some of our what ifs, but I think we're actually pretty um, insightful. Insightful, yeah. Like ambiguous endings, especially endings, but ambiguity in general. It's hard to do well unless it's baked completely in the cake. I think you really have to know what you're doing to do it well. And maybe in some ways we try to make it easier on ourselves by making these ambiguous endings. But I guess if you, yeah, because if you make some detail in the middle ambiguous, it would completely change it. Yeah. I'm still going to be shaking my head over Bambi's mom for a while, (laughs) I feel like. But it could be good. She could be alive still. They could still find her. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're doubting, but there's a 50-50 chance. It's it's uh, Schrodinger's deer. <laughs> it's not fair you're making me laugh when I have a cough. All right. Well, guys, thank you oh, very dear. much for joining us. Uh, oh, this, dear. Uh, this, this episode of Darrell Train the Thought, your premiere podcast on storytelling. Uh, don't make me fawn over this. <laughs> We have to hoof it all and out. I don't know. I can't think of anything good. Uh, the buck stops here. If uh, Oh, dear. If, okay. <laughs> if you'd like to leave us a comment about uh, our wonderful pun times that we have here on Derailed Trains of Thought, uh, you can do that at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Also, we'd love for you to leave a rating and tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, your mailman your amnesiac brother. Also, I haven't made a a big announcement about this, but you may have noticed if you are subscribed to us on YouTube, I've been putting episodes up on YouTube again, kind of in preparation for something that we've got in the works. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you like turning on YouTube and just playing stuff in the background, hey, we're there. We've got our new logo on there. Uh, take a look. Check us out. Um, any other place? You mentioned the Stitcher and well, Spotify. I didn't say I said Podcatcher, but yeah, Stitcher, Spotify. Apple Podcasts, we're there. Other random places I've never heard of. <laughs> so um, I guess that means it's time for my soundtrack, right, Yes, Nick? it is. Okay. I decided to go with some ambient music because it sounds similar to ambiguity. There's still that, that Latin uh, root word there. Um, and, and a lot of times, like, the motion from is kind of like... Yeah, some people get sad, some people get calm, some people... In yeah. ambient, with ambient music? Yeah. Sure, sure. And like good ambiguous ending, ambient music can make you think. Yes, that's true. This is a remix from Donkey Kong Country. Okay, um, nice. The track is Aquatic Ambience. Oh, good. Yep. Yeah, a classic remix choice. Yep. This particular version is called Ambient Gemini. And it's by McVaff. Oh, gonna, okay. Yeah. This is an oldie. This Back when he called himself, when he had like a fake Gemini name. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, this is this remix is like 20 years old. So yep. it's from early days of OC Remix. But it's still it's still quite pleasant to listen to. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, meanwhile, Nick, I'm rather confused because like I feel like one second I'm in a crashing car. Next second I'm in like a snow covered mountain. Yeah, I, I'm I thought I was on a plane. 
Yeah, I'm really confused in what this dream is about. Yes. So, uh, it, which now it feels more like a dream. Wait, now we're in a hotel and things are spinning. This yeah, we, is, we, yeah, I'm we, really discombobulated. We gotta wake up. We gotta go to sleep. One of the two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Podcast. Uh, you need to cast us out of here again. All right. So everyone, thank you. And adios. This has been Nick. And this is Tim. Bye. Bye. Bye.